Hey, Hills Church. Hey, Hills Church. Let's see. We got, you guys hear me? All right, sweet. Hills Church, good to see you. Welcome to everybody who's live at all three of our campuses and joining us online. Um, I'll I'll echo my sentiments about re-entry. Last week was a great week, and I love the messages that I got from some who were in person and some who were online. And even though they were watching in different places, I heard similar messages of what a great weekend it was. And and for those live, there were reunions happening, and it was an incredible time worshiping together. But I also heard from some online who said, we're not quite ready to come back yet, but it was so good to see our church reuniting in person and worshiping together. And what a, what a great picture of what we've been talking about in a series we started last week called Unity, God's People Living God's Way. And speaking of, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. And the 12th chapter of the book of Romans is where we're kind of uh, working through this series. And if you are brand new, I'm so glad that you're with us. Even though we started a new series last week, uh, I believe that God has a great word for you today. That if you're exploring more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, part of what we're going to talk about today will give you a great glimpse of what we believe as a church, but also what Christians believe around the world. And so having said that, I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 and then verses 9 to 16. That's going to be the the passage we'll draw from today, listening to God's Word in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Continuing in verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is God's word for us today. Do you remember where you were when you learned how to play the price tag game? I don't remember how old I was, but I remember the name of the store. It was Nordstrom's. My mom uh, took me and uh, my two brothers, and all of us were kind of in our adolescent years, to, uh, to the mall. We ended up in a Nordstrom's, and it was the first time that my, my brothers and I had ever been in one of these stores. 
and we started getting into certain corners of the store, and we realized that these clothes were, were worth a lot more than some of the other stores that we were used to going. Uh, and so I don't remember which one of us, but one of us covered a price tag uh, on, a, uh, on a jacket and said, guys, how much do you think this costs? And it began the joy of the price tag game. Some of you know this game. You've played this game. The whole point of the price tag game is when you realize you are in a store or in front of a product that is so far outside your price range, all you can do is laugh. Like, all you can do is make a game of it. And part of the humor in the price tag game is getting people to guess and knowing they're going to be way off because what you're looking at is ridiculously overpriced. Like, my wife will tell you, I'm an avid price tag game player to this day. I just think it's a lot of fun. But part of the humor is that there is a vast difference between what is on the rack and what is on the tag. So, if unity was a piece of clothing on a rack, what would we be willing to put on its price tag? If unity in the church was a robe meant to adorn the body of Christ, what would we say it's worth? For some of us, we hear the word unity and we think, man, this, this shouldn't be that hard. We should just be able to get along, you know? Just treat each other better. This should be pretty simple. Why do we need three weeks about this? And we may be in danger of undervaluing unity's price tag. We got the answer last week, God's answer of what he was willing to put on unity's price tag, his very life. God came in, in person, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, and was willing to buy us to purchase his church and unity in the church with his body and blood. That's what's on unity's price tag from God's perspective. But what we find out in today's text is that God is also asking us to pay a price. Now, this is not a price that we pay for salvation. I want to be really clear about that. Salvation is a free gift of God by His mercy. That's what we saw in verse 1 of this chapter, that all, all of what we're talking about is in view of God's mercy. The price that we're asked to pay is not for salvation. It is for the sake of unity. And in Romans 12... Here's what's on unity's price tag for you and me. Give up pride. The pursuit of unity will cost you your personal pride. Because healthy Christian community has no room for pride. I try to do research for these sermons from a diverse group of scholars, and even though I was reading from people with very different denominational and ethnic backgrounds, all of them had the same thing to say about pride. It has no place in the church. That personal pride is one of the greatest poisons against group unity. And that's why, even in the short verses we read, three different times, the person writing, whose name is Paul, he's a church planner and a missionary, Three different times, Paul brings up and warns against the dangers of pride. You could take what Paul says in verse 3 about thinking too, too much of ourselves, and you could, you could pair that with the warning he has in verse 16 about seeing others as of low position, and you could summarize these warnings like this. 
Pride causes me to think too highly of myself and too lowly of others. Now, that's, that's not a huge insight. We could pretty much understand that about pride. But the question is, if thinking too much of myself and thinking too little of others is so obvious, why do we keep struggling with it? And that's because of the third warning Paul gives. In the NIV that we read today, uh, the, the translation of the Bible says, don't be conceited. But the original Greek has language that's a little bit to do with our perspective or our optics, which is why some versions translate this, don't be wise in your own eyes. See, this is, this is really the root of why we continue to wrestle with pride, because pride will cause me to trust my perspective above others. So here's my problem with pride. I don't think that I'm proud. I just think I'm right. And in the words of Dr. Christina Edmondson, we cannot learn what we think we already know. Can I get an amen on that? Like, here, here's the challenge. God's Word is full of warnings about the deceptive nature of pride. I'll give you a few examples from the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel is sharing God's message to the Israelite people and says, your heart was proud. And here's the result. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Proverbs 26 has some language very similar to that idea uh, that's, in, uh, that's in Romans of being wise in our eyes. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Or the prophet Obadiah writing gets to the, really this, the crux of the matter saying, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride can mask itself as our convictions or as our conscience or as our gut feeling, but it will inevitably lead us off track. In July 2011, the Cooper family made headlines when search and rescue helicopters found them in the depths of Death Valley National Park in California. The Cooper family had been lost for three days. They were dangerously close to, to, to uh, dehydration. They, they were hungry. They, they were desperate, and yet they were rescued. Praise God. But when they started talking with the Cooper family and investigators were trying to figure out what happened, it turned out that the culprit of all things was their car's GPS. They were luckier than some others have been. At Death Valley National Park, at least a dozen people in a 15-year span have died due to what some are calling death by GPS. The journalists were trying to figure out, how is this continuing to happen? They were talking to park rangers, and park rangers began to explain that, unfortunately, so many GPS uh, uh, companies, like all their information was bad infer, info. They were working with old information, outdated roads that were no longer in use. And so the park rangers were trying to work against this, going around the park and putting up physical signs saying that these roads weren't in use or that this was the correct way to go, and yet people were ignoring the signs put up by the park rangers because according to one ranger, quote, they are willing to trust the GPS to lead them into the middle of nowhere. When pride is the operating system of our internal navigation, the results will be disastrous. 
And that's why Paul lovingly says to the church in Rome and to us today, give it up. Like if, if we want God's unity, we cannot want human pride to survive. And part of giving up pride means doing what we're doing right now, which is being willing, even when it's uncomfortable, to open God's Word and submit ourselves to God's authority and God's wisdom. If I'm just going to level with you all, I, I felt a little bit uncomfortable knowing I was going to preach this today. I was thinking, this is the second week back in person. And now we got to do a message on pride and feel the tension in the room. Do we really have to do this? And yet, part of our process, if you're new to our church, we believe God has inspired His Word by the Holy Spirit to bring truths and warnings and encouragements and correction and a message of love and hope into our lives even when it's uncomfortable, we receive it as God's word and wisdom. Hills members say amen. And so, that's part of how we give up our pride. But it's not only submitting to God's word, it's also being willing to receive the challenge and correction and wisdom of others around us. I have a, a friend who's a little bit, a little bit farther along in, in life than me, lives out of state, and we were catching up a little bit, talking about our lives and talking about uh, kind of what God had been doing in our lives. And he shared with me something that, that was astounding. He, he said he'd, he developed a recent habit, the uncomfortable habit of going to people in his life and asking them for warnings. And I, I like, this is a person who's uh, like a leader in a church and somebody I think is pretty wise, and so I was kind of baffled at, at his willingness to do this. And I asked him, how was it going? And he said, well, the, the last, last person that I asked was a Christian coworker who shrugged and said, I don't know if I have a warning for you, but I can't remember the last time I heard you say the words, I don't know. And he winced when he told me that. And he said, that one stung, but I needed to hear it. Can we just pause for a moment? And can I ask you, is there anyone you have given explicit permission in your life to challenge you? Is there anybody in your life who feels a sense of, of invitation from you that they're allowed to warn you about patterns they see in your life? Is there anybody close to you that you are actively inviting their wisdom or their correction? And it, it's, it's too easy for us to to think, well, yeah, no, if somebody loves me, they'll really tell me. Here's the challenge. If, if we're not doing that with others because they haven't invited us, why would we expect others to do that for us if we're not offering the invitation? Amen. Giving up our pride will cost us, and it will, it will feel sometimes a little bit painful. But in the end, what I want you to understand is it will be worth it. There's something better on the other side of personal pride. And, and what I want you to understand is that if you're, if you're new, uh, maybe you're listening and, and you're just thinking, man, this, these last few minutes, maybe this, this sermon so far has played into every stereotype or concern you had about church. Because there's a concern out there that church people are don't people, that the sum of our faith is what we avoid. Part of what I want you to understand is, man, we, we see these kind of moments where God says don't or where God says watch out. We see these as loving warnings because He wants what's best for us. But what I want you to understand is that's not the whole of our faith. Our faith in Jesus is so much more than what we push back. Our faith in Jesus is made up in what we pursue. 
and what we actively cultivate and build in our lives and in our community. We're not just don't people. I promise you, God says go, God says do, God says serve, God says pursue. And so we're going to make a turn in the message where we start looking at what Paul says as kind of a, the counterweight. On the other side of giving up our pride, there is space to give away honor. Now, you may hear that word and think, what does it mean to honor? Author John Tyson defines showing honor as the recognition of value or seeing the importance in others or their contribution to the world. And he points out that in the New Testament, the word for honor actually means to prize or assign value. So check this. Showing honor means that I look at others and I affirm what God put on their price tag. See, showing honor means that I recognize God already has a price tag for each person in this world, and I look at them and I say, God's price tag says that person is made in His image. God's price tag says Jesus died so that they could experience salvation. God's price tag says that she is cherished. God's price tag says that His life has eternal value. God's price tag says they have talents and gifts that I should see and recognize and appreciate. That's what it means in part to honor. Honor was, was really integral to the societies in which the Bible was written. But it's a little bit distant for us. There's only certain settings in which we use the word honor. And this is where our Eastern brothers and sisters can really help us because they have a far better understanding of honor because they've grown up in honor-shame cultures that exist to this day. And that's a helpful dynamic. As I was researching for this sermon, I read some of a book called Reading Romans with Eastern Eyes, an author named Jackson Wu. And the author points out that non-Christian communities usually treat honor like a finite resource, meaning there's only so much honor that's going to be able to go around, which turns it into a competition. So the more praise that person gets, man, the less that I'm likely to receive, and so I'm jealous of them. So I need to fight for validation or else someone else is going to get that recognition. And if somebody else is getting honored, then there probably won't be enough to go around. But here's what Jackson Wu says, that in a Christian community, honor is a renewable resource. The competition in a Christian community shouldn't be to acquire honor, it should actually be to give it away. Which is why in Romans 12, 10, some translations render that verse this way, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Pastor and author Scott Saul says that there should be no competition among Christians at all except for the race to show honor to others. That we want to look at the people around us and go, God, help me. Help me to get there first. Help me to compliment first. Help me to encourage first. And honor can also lead to some of the things we saw in this passage of, of caring for others, of serving others, of showing hospitality to others. That honor can happen in a number of ways, but here's the point. In a culture in which all are highly esteemed, no one is of low position. Cultivating honor is going to kill pride in comparison, and it makes space for voices that are different than mine. 
because I have rightly seen their value in God. Once you see the price tag that God has given others, man, that leads us to make space to appreciate what God's done in their life, to honor their voice, their perspective. This is what Paul is emphasizing in his letter to this Roman church because, see, here's, let me give you a little context. Paul's writing to this group, and if you really want to see the context of what Paul's wrestling with, read this week verses, or chapters 12 to 16. Read the end of Romans. And you're, you're going to see this picture of Paul writing to a group who has some disunity that is rooted in some pride. He's writing to a church made up of two different ethnic groups. You've got Jews, and then you've got Gentiles. And as he writes, both are wrestling with a type of pride. The Jews are, were prideful because of their religious heritage among God's chosen people. So they look down their spiritual noses at the Gentiles. But the Gentiles were prideful because they were higher up the social ladder in the city of Rome. And Paul tells both, both of both groups, whether you have religious pride because you think you're the kind of person who's doing it right or that God prefers, or whether you're somebody who you have greater influence in the world and you're higher up the social ladder or the work ladder in the world by the world's measurements, whatever your pride, whether religious or social, give it up. And he says, stop playing by the human games of who is worth more. But Paul doesn't just write about it. One of the things I love about Romans is he embodies it. It's chapter 16. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there real quick. I just want to show you something that blew my mind this week. I love this. In chapter 16, Paul shows what honor as a renewable resource looks like. He just goes down the line greeting people in the Roman church. And as he does, he, he calls out women who are servants and leaders in the church. He calls out men who are servants and leaders in the church, and he, he praises them. He honors them for their service, for their hospitality, for their faith, for their example. He just, honor is spreading all out. He's doling it out. And then all of a sudden, look at chapter 16, verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Who's Tertius? It's not Paul anymore. Who is this? Tertius is the scribe. See, Paul has dictated every single word, the book of Romans, to Tertius, who's been writing it down. And, and see, here's the thing. Uh, author Andy Crouch points out something interesting about Tertius. In the Greco-Roman world, if you were born into indentured servitude, uh, it was common practice that you would be given a name that was impersonal, often a name based on your birth order. You know what the name Tertius means? Third. Third is the scribe. We have here an individual likely raised in indentured servitude who might be a freed person at this, at this point, and, and yet this person was raised with a skill set raised to be able to read and to write solely for the purpose of serving others. Tertius has spent his life helping to share the messages of others, but not his own, amplifying the voices of others, but never his. And he's been dictating everything Paul has said, and all of a sudden, the dictation stops. And you can just imagine Tertius turning over and waiting for Paul, and Paul looks at Tertius and says, you're a Christian? you're a brother, greet the church. 
And perhaps for the very first time, Tertius writes his own message, his own words to this church. This is an example of what it means when we give up our pride and give away honor. Because in Christian unity, you can be the teacher or you can be the scribe, but you matter the same to God. In a Jesus kind of community, we can confidently pass the mic to brothers and sisters of Christ who are different than us, confident that God's Spirit has a word from them to His church as well, a word that's needed. This is the kind of unity that is fostered in the church when we give up pride and give away honor. And I was, I was just blown away by this this week. It's just such a beautiful picture, and I thought, okay, what, like, what's our modern-day version of this? Who are the modern-day scribes? You know, I, I typed up this sermon by myself. I didn't have somebody there doing that. But what's, who are those people who help to share the message of others but often don't get to share their own? Who are the people who help to amplify the voices of others but whose own voices aren't always heard? And I thought about it. I thought, you know what? One of the modern-day scribes is the video operator, the, the, the camera person. And, and so, I, I want to invite somebody up on stage, uh, and, 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 you know, I've, I've never done this before, but in the spirit of Romans 16, I was like, man, we've got to do this. So, I want to invite up Josiah Hernandez. He is one of our filmmakers, videographers. Come on up here, Cy. And um, Cy, uh, Josiah often goes by Cy, and Cy's been uh, working uh, at the Hills here for a couple years, and... Um, uh, and so, so I, I, one of the things I wanted to do is I recognize you're standing here as um, really a representative, um, not only of, of just yourself, but of an entire team of modern-day scribes, uh, of our, our film and production team who've done so much work, especially over this summer, helping to turn our worship services. I mean, you've helped transmit a lot of words from Rick and from me and from others. You've helped transmit worship. You've helped send out to our church HD epistles. And so first, we want to honor you and the whole team and say thank you. So live at all of our campuses, can we honor our production team? For all the work Thank they've been you. doing. Thank you. But Josiah, also I, I want to recognize you as a brother in the Lord um, and, and, and as a friend and say, um, man, I, I know with all the work that you've done, um, not just in the last six months, but in all of your time here, uh, I just I want, to, I want to pass the mic and say, uh, man, speak, uh, speak to your church. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to say, you know, working alongside my brothers and sisters, uh, you know, the production team, it, it's been a huge uh, humbling experience. It's been an honor. Uh, I remember uh, I was thinking when Taylor asked me to speak, I, I was thinking back of when uh, I first got offered to work here. Um, actually, it was I was applying and I was coming from a warehouse job and I the only camera experience I had was using a cell phone and filming my buddies working out. Manny is one of them. So if you know Manny, we were, we were pumping iron before I got in here. <laughs> well, before I got in here. But anyways, I, I had no idea how to work a camera or what different frame rates were. But uh, once, I, once I got in here and, and I got to work along next to some of the people that you'll see in the, in the back, they were so open and just so uh, loving and so, like, so quick to teach me, and uh, it just meant a lot. Um, being able to stand up here now today, I remember when I talked to my grandma about getting the job to, to work here, and 
I remember just breaking down crying. I'm a very emotional person. And so I was just crying to her. And I, was, I remember saying, Grandma, like, I don't deserve this. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like, I have no idea what, what God is thinking, letting me work at his, at his church. And so now that I stand here before you, it's uh, being able to be a part, be behind the scenes, hearing every one of your, your stories, uh, if I've gotten to work with you, um, it's been a blessing. It's, been, it's changed my life. It's changed my, 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 my character in so many ways for the better. I have more patience and, and more peace, and I thank God for that every day. And uh, I thank you. I'm so glad to be back here with all of y'all because it means less vi videos for me to run around and film. Because, <laughs> man, that is, that is tough. Uh, I work out, but I don't, I'm not endurance. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know, you referenced just a little bit about this season. Um, you know, you shared with me just a little bit about kind of how God's been working in these last six months. And I'd love for you to just share that a little bit with, with the church about strength in a time of weakness. You know, what comes to my mind is when I was, when I was a little kid, I remember running, right? I was always trying to catch up with everybody. And I just remember this, this song that would come to my mind. It, it's based off of Isaiah 40. You know, we, we will walk and not grow weary. We will run and will not faint. And so, and that the Lord's joy will be our strength. And, and every time I, like, got to set up my camera and I'm sweating and I'm, and I'm going, everyone is always like, man, you're so happy. How, how are you doing it? And I'm like, you know, after many times of saying, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's like I felt God, you know, just give me that peace and that joy. And he let me know, hey, my, my joy is your strength, and my joy is everlasting. So it's like whatever that is for you, where you are, and it, no matter how tired you might feel or, or like the load is so heavy that you just, you're like ready to pass it on, just pass it on to Christ. I, I mean that, like he will give you the strength. That joy, that, that happiness, laughter will come from it. Like, laughter is like medicine, and God has that abundantly. And uh, he has that freely for you, so. Yeah. So um, next week, you might see me holding the camera. He might be at the podium. Who knows? Um, seriously, Cy, um, dude, I, I love you as a brother in Christ and, and appreciate you so much. Um, you help show me what a culture of honor looks like. Um, and, uh, and here's what I want to do. You know, at, at the end of Romans, it, Paul was the one dictating. Tertius was the one writing it down. But I, I just want us to read the last verse of Romans together, and I just want to let you pray to, to close us out. Um, here's here's the, the benediction that uh, Tertius wrote down and Paul said out loud that we'll read. To, to the, the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Pray for us, brother. Uh, dear Lord, I just want to thank you today. I want to thank you uh, for, for the life that you gave. Jesus, thank you for uh, just taking your life upon that cross and just giving us life freely. Thank you for all the, all the love and, and the, the, the patience and the peace and the joy and the strength that comes from that, Lord. Thank you that, that you just continue to love us no matter what. Lord, Father God, I pray that as we leave here, as we leave this building, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you go before us? Would you, would you make our way clear? Lord, would you speak to us? When we are uncertain, when Lord, would you carry our load when it feels too heavy? Lord, I pray that um, you just remind us of who you are, and in that we can delight in. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you so much for all that you've done in my life and in, through my brothers and sisters here today. I, yes. I thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
I pray that um, you continue to um, just fill us with your joy. Thank you, and we thank you for that ahead of time. And in, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.